0: Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Good Good to see you all. It appears somebody over here didn't shower this week. (laughs) I don't know what's going on right here, but okay. Must be a reason. It's a joy to be with you. Really, I'm glad to be here. Um, as Clovis mentioned, uh, I'm here to help, to support what God is doing at at Cornerstone. Uh, I'm a pastor at a church in Phoenix. Uh, we're friends of Cornerstone. Uh, Pastor Justin is a worship pastor with me at Bethany Bible Church, and you know who he is here a few weeks ago. And so we just want to help. We want to encourage. And uh, I, I asked for an opportunity to come and talk to you one of these Sundays to encourage you because I felt like maybe I could do that. And I've been praying about what it is God would have me share with you when I had that chance. And I really felt God telling me to talk to you about why God waits. And I feel like that's a really important thing because God does sometimes wait To fix our problems. Have you noticed? And we like quick fixes. Am I right? We like quick solutions. Fast response time. And so we measure success in our world by how quickly people respond to us. And so today I want to talk to you about God's response time. Because I'm quite convinced that God has a different agenda, different priorities, and a different schedule than we do. And sooner or later, we find that out to be true. And so here you are as a church. You are, as they say, in transition. And this is often a great time for you to come together, to focus on the mission, to be a family and trust the Lord while you wait. But some of you get antsy and you're saying, you know, come on, time, time's ticking. Let's get this show on the road. Where is that person? Right? Well, I don't want to discourage you here, but typical pastor searches take usually one to two years. Just so you know that, to find a senior pastor, it's a big deal. And I don't think you just want anybody. You want the right person. So as God is waiting on us and we're waiting on him, it's time to talk about why. So um, let me tell you a little story. I, a couple months ago, uh, I got in touch with my own impatience uh, when we had a, uh, a surprise visit from our local fire department at our house. Anybody ever had that happen? Kind of show up. So this is what happened at our house. Uh, it was late. It was about 9, 9.30. And us old people go to bed early. So we're about ready to hit the sack. And my wife says, okay, I'm going now. I'll see you later. And she heads back to the bedroom. And as she does, she blows out the candles that she has lit, you know, making the house smell nice. And so as she blows out the candles, I guess tonight, that was a, a strange thing that happened because it was under the smoke detector, I guess. And she blew this one out and the smoke went up in the wrong way at the wrong time and got into the smoke detector and never before has it ever happened to us. But just the right thing occurred and the smoke detector blew up and this horrendous alarm went off and the whole house woke up and everyone was freaked out. And this alarm was sounding, our fire alarm. So it was good to know it works. That was good. And it was loud. So Steph took off for the bedroom to check on the kids because we didn't know what was going on and why it necessarily happened. So then I went over to the keypad, you know, boop, 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 and I turn it off. And finally the thing turns off and we're both like grabbing our ears and saying, what just happened? And the kids are scared and shaking. And then we finally settle them down. We put them back to bed and we think it's all over. And then, you know, a little sound in the distance that you hear, the sirens, and it gets a louder Every second that goes by. I look out the window, my front window, and I see the lights just shining off the walls. It gets closer. And then around the corner to our cul-de-sac comes the fire truck. Lit up and sirens blaring and out come the fireman with all the hoses, right? And I run out the front door and I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is a massive confusion. I don't know why you guys are here, but I apologize. I don't know why I said, but here's the good news. You guys were Fast. Hey, man, I, I had no idea how fast the fire department would come when I needed them. But it's good to know you guys are quick. That your response time was four minutes. What I would failed to realize was that um, when the alarms went off, the alarm company called our cell phones. But our cell phones go into silent mode in the evening. So we made a mistake. And so thankfully, we didn't get a bill from the fire department. But I am grateful to this day. And I'm grateful it happened because now I know how quickly they respond. That when I need them, they're going to be there. And I think we're all sort of hoping that's the case. When you have an emergency, when you have a crisis, you can call somebody and they're there in minutes, not hours or days. And yet, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the Gospels, and you look at Jesus and the way he did his ministry, this happened to a family one time. When they had a major crisis hit them, And they called for Jesus, and Jesus said, it'll be four days. Could you imagine calling the fire department and saying, hey, my house is on fire, and they go, we'll be there in four days. That's not good. And yet this family calls on Jesus and said, we have a major situation. This is critical. We need you to come right now. He doesn't arrive for four days. And we read in the story that he purposely chose not to go. And that is so bizarre to us because you think if Jesus loves us and cares for us, then when we have a problem and we call for him, he would be right there. So it's astounding that he would pull back and delay coming to help and fix our problem. And you're prone to have all kinds of questions and doubts when it doesn't happen. So here we are in a place of waiting as a church. And maybe you're in a place personally of waiting on the Lord. Where maybe you have a crisis. You have a situation. And you're calling for Jesus to come and help you. And he's not coming so fast. And you're frustrated about it. You don't know why. But this morning I want to show you that there's an answer to that question. There's an answer as to why. It has nothing to do with how God feels about you. There's something else happening and to find out what that is. I want to invite you to read your Bible with me this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I need encouragement, I go to the gospels and I want to take you to John chapter 11 this morning. So if you have a good old fashioned paper Bible, turn to John 11. If you don't look on your cell phone or your notebook or whatever it is you use, it's all good. I'm with it. John 11 verse one. I'm going to read a lot here. So I, I do encourage you to read along or look on with a friend And I'll stop a couple of times and make some comments, but I want to show you some stuff about why God delays in fixing our problem. And we're going to notice some critical truths. So let me read this, make some comments, and then come back and we'll observe. Chapter 11, verse 1. Here's the story. Now there was a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Now, let me just say, Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus, as are Mary and Martha. And it says in verse 2, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified Through it. That's a little strange. Hold on to that. In verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he did what you think he would do. He didn't come right away, right? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Well, that's strange. Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us now go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And then verse 17, here we are. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Four days. Here's the thing you need to know about this. Jesus was in a place called Bethany, which was a place beyond the Jordan, not the Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters lived. There were two Bethanies. okay? He's 30 miles away. He gets this message that his good friend whom he loves is sick. And then he says, you know what? I know he's sick. I'm going to stay here a couple more days. He's one day's travel from this other Bethany. And so he gets the message one day, sits on it, waits two more days, and then finally goes on the last day. It's four days later, it says. Why would he do that? In verse 18, it said, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's crying out in her crisis. If you had just come, you could have fixed our problem. You could have solved the issue. But verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall live, even if he dies. Do you believe This, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And then in verse 28, it says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying the same thing as her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you have both remaining sisters crying out in their grief. Jesus, you could have done something about this. Jesus, you could have come. You could have been there a whole lot faster and her brother wouldn't have died. And they're both very perplexed and frustrated. And then it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the New Testament, maybe also the most profound says, Jesus wept. He wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, and here's the question we're asking today, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So time out, stop here. Here they are. Jesus has arrived into town. He's just outside of the house. And they're all struggling with why he let Lazarus pass away. And they ask this question because they're confused. They see how he feels. They see him weeping and they say, clearly he loved Lazarus, but I'm confused. If he loved him, why did he wait? If he loved him, why did he delay? If he really cared, why didn't he come in the crisis? And that's the fundamental question we're asking ourselves today. So here's a couple of things I see here that are very important Do you think Jesus cared about Lazarus and Mary and Martha? Well, how do you know? Because it says it multiple times. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 11. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So right out of the gates, you know that Jesus loves Lazarus. And then it says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You fast forward here. And it says, look how he loved him. I mean, you look all over this chapter, you would find that it's readily apparent that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So it's not because he didn't care. It's not because he didn't love them. And that's critical. So then why didn't he come? Why didn't he come in their crisis? Why did he wait purposely two days and then finally go four days later? Why would he do that? Well, there's a twofold answer here. And the answer is in this chapter. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to invite you to write these things down. But there's two things going on. There are two reasons why God delays at times solving or fixing our problem. And the first is this. Sometimes God delays solving our problem for his glory. Okay? Sometimes God delays fixing our problem for his glory. How do I know that? Go back to verse 4. Look at verse 4 in John 11. He says this first perplexing thing. He says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Do you see that? So that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So Jesus is announcing, once he hears the news about his friend whom he loves and cares about who's ill, deathly ill his response is this is going to lead to the glory of God this is about God's glory and he announces two important things here that I want you to note in verse 4 first Jesus says this illness will not end in death you see that he said this illness does not lead to death now you might be saying well hold on a second wait Lazarus died And Jesus knew it. So why would he say something like that? Is he lying or is he crazy? What's going on here? Why would Jesus say his illness will not lead to death? Because he's going to die and Jesus knows that. Well, because Jesus knows that death is not the end. Is it? He calls it sleeping. It's only transitional, that there is physical death, but he knows that there is life afterwards. So when Jesus says, it will not end in death, he says, that's not where the story finishes. That's not the end of the story. Now, we live in a world in which they believe that the end of the story is your death. When you die, that's it, kaput, over. And Jesus announced to us and told us, that's not the end. And so even when it feels like your situation is unraveling, your crisis is getting worse and God's not helping and it ends up being something horrible. You can know in your heart of hearts that Jesus would tell you it does not end in death. This is not where the story ends. This is not the ultimate result. And you might feel like this is out of control. This is spinning out of control and the ceiling's caving and the floor is falling out. You need to remind yourself that God is still in control. He's still in control. And he tells you, it's not the end. It might feel like the end, but it's not. It might feel like it's out of control, but it's not. And so Jesus says, this will not end in death. This will not end badly. And then secondly, he says, this will bring God glory. This will ultimately bring God glory. Now, the word for glorified here suggests the idea of an enhanced reputation. Jesus said... It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Look at that. So this is for God's glory. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that he might be glorified as a result. Now the word glorified in the Greek language means to enhance someone's reputation, to raise their profile, to make them more famous, And so what Jesus is saying here, what is about to happen, it's not the end of the story. There's more to it. And secondly, it's about God's glory. It's about enhancing his profile. It's about raising him up and showing the world who he is. And whatever will happen will result in more glory and praise and worship for him. So he said, stay tuned because it's not over. And what's going to happen is ultimately God's going to bring more glory to himself through this. So whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever crisis you might be in, whatever you're feeling and the, the floor is fallen out on you and the ceiling is caving in, remind yourself of two things. This is not the end. God is in control. And secondly, that this will result in greater glory for God. This will result in more fame for Jesus. This will somehow produce greater affection and attention for Christ and his mission in the world. And when you know why what you're going through, why there's a, there's a reason for it, and you understand that, it allows you to suffer better. It allows you to understand what's happening. And so Jesus lets his disciples in. He pulls the curtain back. He shows them what's happening here. And he reminds them this will not end badly. And this will bring God greater glory. He wants them to know that God is up to something way bigger. Way bigger than they can fathom. Something bigger for him, but also something better for us. You see, sometimes God delays solving our problem for his glory, but secondly, for our good. For our good. Look at verse 14. I'm going to show you how I know that. Okay, so it says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then he says something very perplexing. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now, this is bizarre. Jesus said, my good friend is dead. The crisis has just gone from bad to impossible. This is a horrible situation. And he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Is that what you want to hear from from emergency services, right? When you're in trouble? Hey, we're not going to come and we're glad we're not going to come. No, 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 no. I want you here. I want you fixing. I want results. I want solutions. Fix it now. And Jesus said, Lazarus is now dead. And for your sake, for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there. Now, this is excruciating for him to say, you got to imagine Because he loves his friend and he's broken up and he's weeping about the loss of his friend. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't feel it. It's that he's convinced something more important is coming. He said, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Not mine. For yours. So that, look at this, you may believe. So that you may believe. So here's what's happening The situation has gone from bad to worse. He's no longer sick. Lazarus is dead. The difficult situation is now an impossible one. But the good news is, is that God specializes in the impossible. Am I right? Nothing is impossible if you believe. We serve a mighty God and Jesus wants to remind his followers and even us today for your sake that God can do the impossible. We're the ones who have a hard time believing that. We're the ones that sort of hold him back. We're the ones that say, well, you know, you know, he can do that kind of stuff, but not in my life, not in my world, not in this time. And yet God is still on the throne, is he not? He is and he will be glorified. And he says, I'm... Happy that I didn't go to fix the problem, to solve the urgent crisis that is right in front of us so that there's something better that's going to happen in all of you. I want you to believe. I want you to see something that will blow your mind. I want you to trust that God is more capable and more powerful and more glorious than you ever thought before. You see, you think that the ultimate solution is to solve your problem, put a band-aid on the situation, and fix it and you'll move on to tomorrow. When in fact, God wants to do something better. Better than healing. And you might be saying, well, what could be better than healing? I mean, my goodness, I'd love to see a blind guy see, a deaf person hear, a lame man get up and walk. What in the world could be even better than healing, than fixing, than solving? I heard some resurrection. Resurrection is the answer. I mean, what's better, right? Watching somebody, you know, recover from an illness and feel better or watching them die and rise from the dead? Come on now. What did Jesus do? Died came back from the grave. The ultimate miracle, the ultimate blessing is to witness God do something that nobody can even fathom. See, back in these days, they were used to the miracles, man. They watched Jesus walk around and touch people and feed them and do all kinds of stuff. And everyone's kind of like, ho-hum. Seeing that, Jesus has done this before. I mean, even Mary and Martha are like, you know what? Lazarus is sick. Send for Jesus. He does that. You know, bring him over and let's solve the immediate problem. Let's fix and get a solution right away. And everyone's used to it. And Jesus says, time out. You have no idea what I'm capable of. You have no idea what I'm after. I want more for all of you than just to fix your immediate urgent issue. I've got a master plan that I'm after. I want to produce something better. I want you to believe in something bigger. And what is it that God wants us to believe? Well, two things here. This is what I see. Jesus said that you might believe, and there are two things that jump off the pages about what he wants us to believe. Number one, Jesus wants us to believe in the depth of his love. Jesus wants you to believe the depth of his love. And here's the thing about love. You only really grow to appreciate it when you experience it in excruciating times. When someone loves you through the hardest things in your life, When someone is there for you and walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's when you know that you are truly loved. And if someone loves you, their greatest desire is not to remedy and solve your most immediate problems. That person who loves you wants more for you. Wants greater things for you. Your ultimate restoration. Wants you to grow. Hey buddy, how you doing man? (laughs) Wants you to grow. And believe that there's more for you. And so you look at this text and you say, wow, how Jesus loved Lazarus, how Jesus loved him and Mary and Martha. And it's easy to translate that to us and say, oh, wow, how he loves us. But in his love, he allows us to struggle. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he doesn't care if he doesn't fix our problem right away. If he doesn't come running and he delays and waits to fix what we're dealing with, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. In fact, it's not in spite of that. It's because of his love that he allows us to learn. He allows us to come into a place of trust that his love is deeper and more profound than we ever could fathom. It's more than we could possibly imagine. And here's the deal. If Jesus had just gone right over to Bethany and laid his hands on Lazarus and he had been recovered, a lot of people would give the golf, golf clap, right? And say, okay, good job. That's nice. And the next day, another crisis would come up. And they have the same needs again and again. And Jesus said, I want you to know the depths of my love. And the only way is to let you go through something really hard. Here's the thing about resurrections, folks. They only come out of graves. Resurrections only come out of graves. And that means if you want to see God move at that level, if you want to see a resurrection, then something's got to die. Maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's finances. Whatever it is that feels like a crisis in your life and the world is closing in, you might think that God's greatest desire and his love is to solve that, when in reality, he doesn't. He might be allowing the death of whatever that is in your life so that he can resurrect something that will blow your mind. I talked to no less than a handful of people after the first service that came up to me and said, we've had that experience. And they gave me examples of how this died, this died, this happened. And I went to my ultimate point where it was the impossible moment. And it was in that moment that I truly appreciate the depth of God's love for me. When he resurrected that dream, he resurrected that goal. He resurrected that situation, that relationship. And sometimes God allows us to come to the brink of the end Until we realize that death is not the end of the story. To feel and experience and believe the depth of his love for us. The second thing I see here. Is that Jesus wants us to believe not just the depth of his love. But the extent of his power. The extent of his power. Because yeah. He could have healed Lazarus in that moment. End of story. And people would have said that was impressive. That was great, but what they would be blown away by is him arriving and raising the man from the dead. That was truly more impressive. That would truly show them the extent of God's power, what he really can do. And so that's exactly what happens here. We tend to doubt God's power to change situations until the time is right and God acts. And he raises things up in our midst. Jesus wants us to believe that if he delays, it's not because he can't solve the problem. It's because he's got something way better in store for us. Here's the thing. God loves you and God is in control. That means he's sovereign. If God is sovereign, he's loving and he's powerful. And if he's loving and is powerful, he loves you and he could solve your problem. He could fix your situation, but he chooses not to because he's offering you something better. He wants to bring greater glory to himself through the situation and then grow you as well. Grow you in faith. Grow you in trust to know the depth of his love and the extent of his power. And I know that's true because you look at how the story ends here. Keep reading with me here in verse 38. I love this. It says then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Just picture this. He arrives. He walks to the grave. He's not intimidated. He's about to put on display the extent of his power. And he says, move the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, of course, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead for four days. Thank you, Martha. I appreciate that. Jesus told her it doesn't matter. Here's why. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, here it is, in the depth of my love and the extent of my power, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you if you believed and trusted that I love you and I have power to do more than you could imagine, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me. You see that? I've said this on account of you for your benefit, for us. That's us. That they may believe that you sent me. Jesus offers you and me something better. He longs for us to trust his love and believe in his power and he will let you go to the brink and he will not solve your crisis all the time on your schedule because he's got something better in store and what's in store when he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come out the man who had died came out he rose from the dead His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go because he's free. Brothers and sisters, this happened. Raised from the dead. An impossible situation that people could not see coming. And they were willing to settle for the least. God, I just want you to solve my problem today. I just want you to fix my situation and be there in the moment. Jesus said, you have no idea what I can do. And so I'm going to hold back. I'm going to delay on purpose so that you can come to appreciate the glory of God and have trust and belief in my love and my power. That you can understand what I'm truly capable of in your life. So I'm going to let those things suffer to the point where they become impossible to you. And that's where God works. That's where resurrections happen. And God might be allowing you to come to a place of desperation in whatever it is you're dealing with personally so that you will learn to trust him and to believe that something glorious is going to come. And that has application not just for you personally. It has application for this church, folks. Cornerstone is a church in transition. But ministry hasn't stopped. Have you noticed? Jesus is the real senior pastor of this church. It's his church. He is guiding it. He's leading it. And I believe that this applies to what you're dealing with collectively. Is an area of trust. You know, God, it might take some time. Your goal... Your agenda, your purpose, your timing might not be to bring that person tomorrow or yesterday. But maybe God is preparing someone for you who is the right leader for this church. I think you'd want to say, you don't just want to have a pastor. You want the pastor. Am I right? The pastor that God has prepared to lead this church into the future. And God might be saying to you, wait, trust me. I might be delaying for a purpose. I have work to do in your life. I'm teaching you to trust my love and trust my power. So wait for the Lord. He will resurrect what might feel dead to you. That might be true for you personally. It certainly is true for our church here. Can I get an amen? Father, that's what I pray this morning for this church. Lord, for some encouragement and some inspiration and some challenge for us to know and appreciate, Lord, that sometimes you choose to wait purposely to fix our problem, to address our need. And Father, we tend to think that things are out of control, but God, you told us that this is not the end. There's always hope. And that God, even death is not the end. Father, you are in control and we trust you. And we believe that this will result in more glory for you. So we're willing to wait on you to trust you in that time that you have our good in mind. Not just your glory, but our good. That we might comprehend the extent, the depth of your love and the extent and the depth of your power. That you can do way better things, Lord. And so you're preparing something better for us. So, God, we pray that we would trust you. Trust you for what's coming. That you will blow our minds and our hearts if we trust you. And, Father, if agendas and priorities and schedules have to die, then let them die. It's all about you. You are in control. You are sovereign and you love us. And we trust you with this. Father, we love you. We believe you. And we want your glory in our good. We pray this together in Christ's name. And God's family says, Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.